Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. Former pro cyclist, Olympian coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur athletes. Chris and his team of 50-plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for thousands of athletes they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time-crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Stages Cycling, the industry leader in accurate, reliable, and proven power meters and training devices. Stages Cycling offers the widest range of power meter makes and models to fit any bike, any drivetrain, and any rider, all manufactured in their Boulder, Colorado facility. They've expanded their offerings to include the Stages Dashline of innovative and intuitive GPS cycling computers covering the full range of training and workout-specific features to make your workouts go as smooth as possible. And for 2020, Stages is applying its decade of indoor cycling studio expertise to the new Stages Bike Smart Trainer. Check out their latest at stagescycling.com and use the coupon code CTS20OFF, all caps, at checkout for 20% off. Jim Miller head of elite athletics at USA Cycling. If he actually updated his coaching resume, on there you'd see countless national and world championship athletes, Olympic gold, silver, and bronze medalists, and all this spanning across multiple disciplines in the sport of cycling. You've heard him on the Trainwright podcast before in episode 14 with one of the athletes he works with, Kate Courtney. If you haven't listened to that one, I really suggest going back and listening to it. It's it's hilarious, and there's a lot of good gold nuggets of, of training and coaching wisdom in there. But today, today is special because I sit down with Jim. It's just him and I talking about the athlete mindset and how the physical plays into that. We talk about how he actually coaches and trains athletes, and then we try to bridge that gap between the science and in the art of coaching. I think that when you listen to it, uh, you'll pull out a lot of good stuff that you can apply to your own training. And, you know, I've known Jim for years and I'm still learning about him. I'm still learning from him. And that's exactly what I think your experience will be today on the Train Right Podcast. Well, Coach Miller, you've been on the podcast before, so no need for a big intro. Uh, but for those listeners who haven't checked out the podcast with Kate, uh, Kate Courtney, one of your athletes, uh, go ahead and have a listen to that. Uh, but but Jim, instead of an intro, can you tell our audience a little bit more about what has kept you in coaching in elite athletics for over 20 years now? Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me again. Um, coaching, what is it? It's, it's super addictive. Huh? I think I think to some level it's that, that desire to feel a competitive need um, when you're no longer an athlete you get this competitive outlet from from coaching athletes um, it's a bit of the pursuit of of goals and and 
having some process to tackle. Uh, for me, I mean, I love, I love the big audacious goals. Um, I love chasing them. I don't necessarily get, I'm not necessarily obsessed by them, but I, I love the, the process of uh, working towards them and, and making a small step after small step after small step. And, and then by the time you lift up your head, you're, you're at the goal and you're like, wow, that was, that's phenomenal. Uh, so I think all of that has some sort of uh, attraction to it that, that pulls you in and, and, and just keeps you in it. Uh, you know, I'd like to say, uh, I had a, a CEO at training peaks who we had a conference, uh, and he asked anybody who had ever been part of anything, winning, winning a state championship, winning a intramural league, winning, a, uh, science projects, anything like that to raise your hand. And, you know, of course, everybody's won at some level, uh, He's like, is there any greater drug or addiction than that? And I literally thought to my, as he's talking, I'm laughing. I'm like, no, actually, there's no greater drug. There's no greater addiction than that. I was going to say, that's, <laughs> a, that's a wonderful question. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just it pulls you back in and you can't, you can't get it off your mind. And it's really, you know, it's funny because it is, like I, I said earlier, the, the winning is awesome. Uh, but it's, it's really that process of working towards it and and putting the little pieces together that that accumulate to this big this big goal or this win yeah that's that's super interesting and in in i mean this is like already off script jim but a question i had i was thinking about earlier today for you is if you if for some if you had a magic ball and you could look in it and it said that Jim, you will never again win as, as long as you coach. Would you still coach? I wouldn't believe that crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. I like that answer. <laughs> but the process, I think that's it. And you know, I know as you thinking too. Okay, if you had the crystal ball and, and it said that you would win every time, would you still coach? Uh, probably, yeah. But again, then I also wouldn't believe that crystal ball either. Right. I was going to say the same crystal. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. believe it because in that's the, the elusiveness, right. Of competition. That it is. It is. There's no guarantee. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's cool. I, I, I like that. I like that perspective. I like that outlook and I like to hear more of your history. I learn more every time we talk. So, uh, but for our audience, you know, uh, please, please note, this is actually round two of a one-on-one with Jim, the first time we tried this, we had some really bad audio and <laughs> bad on me because I couldn't figure out how to solve it. So this is uh, this is round two. We had to scrap the first one. Some really good stuff in there. So we'll, we'll bring that out again. Um, and as well as like just add on to it because it's, it's going to be really good stuff. And what we're going to talk about is, today is the mindset of the athlete. So let's go. Let's Let's get right into it here, Jim. And where I want to start is, is the why it's it, the, so the question is, is why is mindset such an important part of an athlete's success? Mm, it really, it really differentiates similar athletes from one another. Uh, in my opinion, how so, how so? Um, you know, you can have a, a lot of athletes of the same relative ability, talent, uh, drive, 
Um, but that, that there's always that one person with that, that mindset of, of I'm going to get this done period versus the person who's like, yeah, I would like to get it done, but, um, not at this cost or not at, I'm not giving up this, or I'm not going to give up that. Um, but there's always the one who, who will. And, and that mindset is, is the winner and, and talent be, you know, everything all equal. Uh, that's what separates them. I like that. I like that. Um, so because it's, it is so important, let's, let's take a step back even further and, and, and let's define it a little bit further if we can. So give me the Jim Miller definition of mindset for an athlete. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably all over the board. Uh, you know, I think everybody wants to find the, the one person with the, the killer mindset, but I don't necessarily know that they come to you uh, or they find their way to you with just this, this killer mindset. I think it's something that has to be cultivated. Um, it's cultivated through experiences and uh, successes and failures and, and processes and uh, training and racing. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think you have to, you have to continually cultivate. Uh, you have to, you have to praise it. You have to criticize it. You have to challenge it. Um, and over time, it's one of those things that just all of a sudden you have this, this, this killer mindset that, that allows you to be this, this competitor. Um, and I think that happens in, in all walks of life, whether it's business, whether it's sport, uh, it, I don't think initially is, is critical at what level. Um, but I think it's, it's just this collection of, of experiences. I got a Slack call. Uh, this, this, uh, collection of experiences that, that help cultivate that mindset, if you will. Yeah. Cause you can't, I mean, you can't unravel, you know, the, the athlete's life with the, with, um, or the competitor with the rest of their life, right? The athlete is, is one with that. And the, in the mindset is, is how they think about their training, their racing, their life, the obstacles, the challenge, the victories, the defeats. It's, I mean, it's, it's everything, mm-hmm. right? It's all wrapped into it. Yeah. And I guess, could we, could we go into some examples? Like since we're cycling, who in the cycling world, and this could be past, present, if you will, uh, has one of the strongest mindsets you've ever seen. Who's a good oh, example of that? I've seen some really good ones. Uh, I think the strongest for me is Christian Armstrong, for sure. Um, one of your athletes, right? Yeah. yeah. Mentally an absolute warrior. Uh, How so? When she, when she clocked in, she clocked in. Uh but also a nice personality because when it was done, she could clock out and, and, and be done with it. Um, but once you got her on a bike and once you were in that, that competitive zone, uh, you had better be buckled in because she was not giving up easy. <laughs> I like that. We'll, I've got a great Kristen Armstrong story here that we'll get into later and, and we'll, we'll see that side of her a little bit more, but, uh, so, okay. So Kristen Armstrong, one of the strongest mindsets, um, out there, what are some, so go to the opposite end of the spectrum and not necessarily to 
say one person, but what are some classic characteristics of an athlete who may not be strong mentally or an athlete that needs to toughen up between the ears? Mm-hmm. What are some characteristics of an athlete like that? Um, I think you can see it when they, when they don't own the responsibility for the outcome. Uh, if they they pointed solutions like, well, it was, it was because of this or because of that, or, uh, I just did what I was told. Um, I think when you don't own the outcome, then it allows you to, to, it, it allows you an out. So you can say, well, look, I did my job and, and that was that. And, and I, you know, I came in 15 minutes late, 15 minutes off the group, uh, or I was, or was 50th in the race because I wasn't, this wasn't my A race. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think when you start seeing people that, that point to other things, you know, or blame other, uh, situations to, to answer their result, then you, that, that's a fairly weak mindset. Excuses. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Everybody, everybody's got one (laughs) and they don't smell good. (laughs) Except the champion, the the champions never do. They just take it. They take it on the chin. They get knocked down. uh, They get back up and they move straight on. Yeah, that's right. As a coach, can you separate mind and body or do you? And are there benefits in that way of thinking? Yeah, I think you can. Um, I do anyways. Uh, if I write training, I'm, I'm physiologically trying to prepare, prepare an athlete for a competition and, and work through specific adaptations you want to see happen and develop. Um, but in the process of that training, there's some there's moments where you endure some hardships or you, you it's, it's tough training, right? That's, that's the point of endurance is you endure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to, to push and challenge somebody and mentally get them to go further than they were capable of going, or they thought they could, um, to be comfortable, more comfortable on longer, longer than they, they had, or they thought was possible. Uh, if you push on power and you, you want them to ride a little bit more power than they, they typically do in that workout, then you're, you're, you're challenging them. And it's the brain that has to make that happen, not necessarily the body. Um, I always have a story that uh, I'll tell with, with Kristen that I started working with her in 2002. It was, I don't recall exactly if it was the, the fall of 2002 or the spring of 2003, but she called me and, and says, it's raining here today. It's supposed to be a high of 40. It's, it's 33 right now. What is the alternative workout you want me to do? And I'm like, what alternative? I was like, I want you to get on your bike, go outside and ride the workout I gave you. <laughs> and she's like, but it's raining. And I'm like, what's that got to do with me? Kind of thing. And mm-hmm. she was mad, hung up the phone, uh, went out and rode. Never in 15 years after that did she ever call me and ask me to change a workout, ever. And, and years later, 2000 seven winter of 2007 we're in beijing looking at the doing a recon on on the beijing time trial and road race course and it's like 90 percent humidity 25 degrees i mean freezing cold and i'm like well it sucks we can't ride it's too cold to ride i'm like we'll just drive it and we'll get a feel for it and she looked at me she's like i didn't fly to beijing to drive in a car and she's like 
And if I recall, you ride in all weather conditions, period. I was like, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to ride in this stuff. <laughs> and, and we rode four hours a day, four days in a row, five days in a row in this cold. And the very last day, she is we're getting ready to go outside. She hands me these little foot heaters that fit in your shoe, the stick on ones that you get from Dick's or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, do you want to try some of these? They keep your feet warm all day. And I'm like, oh my God, have you had these the entire time? And she's like, yeah, you can't survive in this cold and that in this weather with, without some sort of heat. And I'm, and I'm like, you could have shared these sooner. And she's like, you didn't have to make me ride in bad weather for like the last eight years. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, touche. But, but the point of the story being right is, is just by saying no that day, for eight years, she mentally processed this. And she mentally was like, I'm tougher than the weather. And I can't call and ask for another workout because he's going to say no. Yeah. And then sure, there's times to be smart, right? If you're sick and it's raining, yeah, you don't do that. But uh, for the most part, you know, that kind of, that kind of response just, it, it elicited a, a mental change in her. And, and consequently, I, I recall in those years racing too, in the springtime, never drop out of races, spring classics, raining, snowing, whatever, uh, never faced her. And I'm like, well, it's because you train in it every day. You do this all the time. It doesn't, when you see the rain on the window and you haven't got out of the car yet, it's just, it is what it is. And, and, and you just move on. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And recognizing, recognizing the facts without receiving the emotion that could be attached to it. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's what it is. And, and you just say, okay, well, this is what I have to do. And those are the facts. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and yeah. Go ahead. Mental conditioning. Right. I mean, nobody wants to go ride in four hours of, of 32 degree rain. Uh, and if you said, do that straight out of the box, then, then you probably have nothing but failures, but mm -hmm. as you do it and do it and do it and do it and do it, all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know what it is? It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and there's that, that physical, so that physical training and kind of that pain or the, the uncomfortableness of <laughs> 32 and reading, um, let's, let's talk about that because there is, there is kind of mental training or me kind of mental sharpening that comes through the physical. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how would you, like, how does the mind get cultivated through that physical training process? Like if you could explain that to our listeners, like why is hard training so important? Why is that training? What goes on mind body connection to make that happen? Yeah. I think you have to, this is probably the way I explain it. I, I think there are times when you have to, show an athlete how tough they actually are. Um, we don't know really how tough we are until we're put in a situation where we have to, to get through it and, and fight through it and, and do it. And I think all the time with an athlete, I get to a point where, where you're at this, this turning point and, and you just have to show them how tough they are. Uh, this Kate Epic that, that Kate does, um, <laughs> I'd always wanted uh, mountain bike athletes to go to South Africa and race the Cape Epic before World Cup season. I'm like, what a, what a perfect preparation. You get a nice seven-day stage race in with lots of volume, hard riding. Uh, it's a different format, two up, so it's fun. Um, and then you, you recover from that, and you're essentially launched into a World Cup season. I'm like, it's perfect. And, it, and if you'd watch the, 
you know, years past, it was like every European guy did that. And I'm like, there's gotta be something to this. Uh, I hadn't coached a lot of mountain bikers until, uh, right around 2016. And so I kind of had to put my mouth where my money, where my mouth was on that. Uh, Kate got an opportunity to ride, um, the Cape Epic with Annika Langved, who at the time was reigning world champion, had won Cape Epic like three times in a row. Uh, she asked me if she should do it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. She's like, I've never done a stage race before. And I'm like, Ooh, that's a tough one to start with. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And for our listeners, like the, the context here is Cape Epic, South Africa, early season, uh, March time period. And it's like the world series of mountain bike stage racing. It is like epic. It is crazy. It's gnarly to bring some context here. Yeah. And you know, ideally we would have started with like a three day stage race or a four day stage race, but, but, uh, it wasn't available. And I'm like, yeah, tell them yes. And I'm like, we'll, we'll make sure you're prepared for it. Yeah. And so we, we essentially devised a, uh, training plan that concluded with the Kate Epic and the Kate Epic simply replicated the, the race demands and the kilojoules or TSS of what the Cape Epic would be. And, and so we built her up to a point where she could give the Kate Epic a go. And, uh, it was hard and she, you know, she's in day seven of this. And I finished it with like the, what I think is the world's most nasty workout, which is five by five VO2s. She's, she's already got a ton of load in her legs. She sees it. Um, I know she's going to call me that day um, and ask me if she should do that workout. Uh, she does. I don't, I didn't pick up the phone. I'd let it ring. Wait, I'm sitting there waiting by the phone essentially. Uh, it rings like 45 minutes later and it's her. And I'm like, I know what the, I know what the question is. Um, but you have to work through this yourself. This is where you become mentally tough. You're going to decide whether you're going to complete this or you're going to quit. And I was just curious on what it was going to be. Is she going to, is she going to finish or is she going to quit? So how hard, how hard were these five by fives for our listeners to get the context of? Five by five is a VO2, so right around 115% of FTP. Okay. And she was doing this the final day of yeah. a seven, eight day block? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably, oh man. Uh, oh, if I'm guessing, I don't know. I couldn't guess on the kilojoules at this point. Anyway, it's not important, but a lot of load. Yeah. Um, probably we're probably up around 25, 30 hours at this point. Yeah. So over, I mean, 1200 TSS plus probably yeah. for the week. Yeah. 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 Big week. yeah. Okay. That's probably, it's probably closer to 1400 TSS. So okay. she's, she has a lot of load in her. Yep. The phone rings. I don't answer The phone rings again. I don't answer. Um, and I know it's hard, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm very empathetic towards what she's going through yep. this morning time. Yeah. And then the phone rings a third time. And, uh, I pick it up. I'm like, how'd you do? And she's like, borderline tears. And she's like, that was mean. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. She's like, you would never do that to anybody else. And I'm like, but did you finish? She's like, yes. I'm like, did you hit the power? She's like, yes. I'm like, see, you're capable of it. And guess what? The Cape Epic will be nowhere difficult, near as difficult as this. So I'm like, now you know you can do the Cape Epic. And she's 
And then you could almost feel her demeanor change. And she, you know, she, she laughs and she's like, I literally lay down on the ground between reps. She's like, I didn't ride. I didn't recover. I laid down and cried sometimes. And I'm like, but you got up and you did them. And she's like, yes. I was like, because you didn't, you're not a quitter. You didn't quit. And now you know how deep you can dig. And, and now two, three years later on, uh, she, she is absolutely a, a mental warrior herself. I mean, she is, is as tough as Kristen mentally. Um, I have as much respect for her, for her, uh, her warrior spirit as I, as I do Kristen's, uh, but that was like a big step for her to, to realize that, Hey, I can do this and, and I can dig way deeper than I thought I could. Yeah. Yeah. That's those, those are huge moments in an athlete and in what you're talking about, what you're talking about is building that resiliency, you know, mm-hmm. in, 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 in the belief that they are resilient enough. And, and all I was there that year um, in South Africa. And I remember, um, cause we had a group of athletes that we were kind of shuttling through and making sure that they, and they were at the pointy end and all the way at the tail end. And I was at the finish line every, every stage. And I remember, uh, seeing Kate because I, by, be- correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that there was no American had won that race before. Right. And that was actually how, how we and, and Kate both actually won that year, which is ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but I remember just, I mean, she was in the pain cave. She was, she was going for it, but like pretty much every stage coming in on Annika's wheel, just like charging hard, just like that, that classic Kate, like I am doing this, I am getting this. And it was, uh, it was impressive, man. Cause it was, that's a gnarly, gnarly race. Yeah. And you know, at that time she's, she's coming out of U23. So that's her first. Right. She was young. Race. Yeah. Yeah. She was young. And Annika is, is, was definitely the queen then and. Yeah. Reigning world champion, uh, big, strong girl, probably uh, have better absolute powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Kate's in, in the flats, forty watts, okay. so she could she could turn the screws to Kate big time in, in that terrain. Yep, yep. But that that resiliency, you know, and that's a just a wonderful example of how to build resiliency in an athlete because it's you have a goal that they don't know that they can do and you walk them through it, right? You simulate the stress, you simulate the intensity, you simulate the gnarliness that will be achieved. And how, how, how soon did you end the Kate Epic before the Cape Epic? How many, how much recovery did she have in between? Uh, We gave her a fair amount um, because she hadn't done that large of a a week before. Um, I think I gave her a good two weeks after that of pretty light riding, pretty much recovery. Um, then we had a week that, that we could open back up. That takes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then she flew over to South Africa and, and joined the team. And uh, they also had a, they had a World Cup before the Cape that year. So she had a, she had a bit of a uh, chance to fire the engine before the Cape. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And so when we're talking about resiliency, it's, it's the capacity to recover quickly from those difficulties or the, or the toughness, right? And yeah. your you know, that I guess where I'm going with that is you're building that throughout the lifespan of an athlete too. So it's not only just for that one, what she learned during the hashtag Kate Epic, she's now applying to, uh, you know, after her world championship and, and leading into Tokyo. Right. Yep. Yep. Daily. I mean, those, 
those those are cumulative experiences and, and uh, they build upon themselves and and I think that's what ends up making champions and, and winners is uh, they become so resilient and they they can move past failure and move from it so fast that uh, the normal person just it, it blows them away but that's what that's what really what resiliency is right it's like get knocked down stand back up keep moving that's it that's it so let's let's shift back to the mind and in particular in particular what goes on in the mind during those tough tested moments when resiliency is being <laughs> built i guess or maybe denied right and i think in sports psychology or coaching we we talk about self talk for an athlete. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's, you know, a word or words that are repeated, <laughs> yep. you know, throughout this, this process. So how, how important is self-talk for an athlete? Would you, would you say? I think it's super important. Um, I compare it to, to checking the gauge in the car. Uh, when you're, when you're really deep into an interval or a race or you're in the gutter or you're climbing and it's, it's, massively uncomfortable you have this deep desire to always check the gauges uh what is that if you check the gauge and say i can't you immediately blow up but if you check the gauge and say i can you tend to go to the next reflector pole and there's the next reflector pole and to the next reflector pole and, and you 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 can survive um that that's i mean i don't know if that's a great analogy but that's how i would look at it and and I think, you know, Kate's famous for her mantras. She always has mantras. She even comes up with weekly mantras. Uh, um, that's her. That's her thing. Uh, I actually really like them. I started adopt mantras for myself. So it's it's a bit of the, the student teaching the teacher now. But um, <laughs> but I think they're really good. Um, you you know, it, in those very moments, you don't have a lot of cognitive process, anyways. Uh, and if you can have just one or two things that that trigger that positive outcome. Uh, it's like awesome. You need those. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And oftentimes, like you said, it's, you know, whether it's one word or a phrase, you make it very simple and, and because everything else hopefully is a bit on autopilot at that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the importance of a mantra, what I've communicated with my athletes, the importance of a mantra is to have something in there that repeats you of kind of, you know, why you're there to keep you grounded in the present moment. And also because of the potential negotiations that happen in the, the negative self-talk, if you will, mm-hmm. yeah. to say, okay, this is hurting. I need to slow down. I'm going to die. I'm going to, you know, all these yeah. like things, you know, yeah. that we say to ourselves. And so I think the mantras, I think the mantras are huge, right? And um, so how can, like for our listeners, how can they check the gauge? Like, how do you do that with your athletes? Is it, is it like a reflective process after a hard workout or a race? Is it, is it like a journaling thing? Do you talk to them on the phone? I mean, how do you, how do you do it in coaching? Yeah, all the above, right? Um, For me, that, uh, and we talked about this with the, the last interview with Kate, that relationship with the athlete is, is critical for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can look at metrics. I can look at any set of data. I can, I can dice and slice it any way I want. I can even get that, that data to tell me the story I want to see. Um, 
but there comes a point where, where I want to hear what they have to say. And, and especially in the feedback stage, you know, with, uh, with coaching, I think, I think the feedback is, is the hard part. Um, one doing it because if, if you're delivering bad or if you're critiquing, it's difficult. Uh, cause it's, it's not fun. Nobody wants to tell somebody they were terrible or they did a bad job or they could have done this better, but it, that's a critical step of the process. Um, but I always start off with, what do you think? And, and let them talk. And I want to hear what they have to say. And I may have had a different view in my mind of what happened in the race or, uh, how the tactic played out or, or what I thought I saw. Um, they walk me through what they think. And, and a lot of times they can even change my mind where I'm like, okay, well, look, I agree with that. Um, but it's that, it's that communication and, and, and hearing what they say and, and listening to it and, and uh, digesting that along with all the analytics you take in. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautifully put. Yeah. And so how would you, so, you know, Kate's kind of creating her own mantras and, and she's teaching you a thing or two. What, one that I really liked was uh, she believes she could. So she did. And that was before uh, she won the world championship. Um, how, how do you guys do it? Or like, how would you say a listener here could create their own mantra? Like, where do you start from in terms of finding that one word or the phrase? I think the key is it has to mean something to you. Um, you can adopt mantras. Uh, use I think with with Instagram and memes now you can you see mantras all day long and and sometimes you read mantras on Instagram and you're just like yes and and yeah. that can be a mantra. Um, uh, so I think it's it, they're just things that have to mean something to you and if they do then they resonate with you and and because they resonate with you that's a typically a positive thing in your brain. Um, and in those moments, like we, like we said earlier, it's, you get into this, this, this in the box and in your cognitive processes and they're just not that powerful. And you just need the one thing that you can rely on and, and, and that pulls you through. Yeah. I like that. So would you say you have self-talk as a coach? before big races, big events, or I don't know, devising a training program? All the time. I have so many conversations going in my own brain that it's crazy. Uh, but I'm more of an introverted thinker, more so yeah. than a, than an extroverted uh, feeler. So that's natural to me. But um, yeah, all the time uh, I'm, I'm thinking about things and, and working through it and even at times reminding myself that we checked the boxes and, and this is going to be okay. It's going to go well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I would agree with you on that regard too. much more introverted in the way I'm thinking, but there's, despite what my wife might say, there's always, there's always a lot going on up there between the years. <laughs> you can, you can not say a word for hours, but in your mind, you have these full conversations and you're exhausted. Oh, it's incredible. I can just stare at a wall and, and think for hour. For mm-hmm. sure. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Absolutely. I rarely, rarely ride with music lately. I've been riding with, with audibles and podcasts, but mm-hmm. almost always I ride just solo and, and just churn on things and ideas. And I, I can commit three, four hours to it, almost a single idea, just like thinking about it and, and processing it. 
hundred percent. In fact, I mean, we're recording this during our little pandemic here. And so we're riding a lot solo and I have to like, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's three, four hours. I know no one's going to, uh, want to ride. I know that there's not a lot of traffic on the road and I know I'm not going to see anybody. So it's like time alone. It's great. Yeah. And you get some great thinking done. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of bring back to, uh, the, the athlete in the, in the mindset, clearly there's a process to developing a winning athlete and, and you've done this at the highest level in sport for years and years. Um, and there, there's not only a desire to win, but there needs to be that relentless pursuit to do what it takes physically, mentally, tactically to sacrifice. And so now I want to talk about competing versus winning. Okay. And I'll first start with a quote. I want to hear your thoughts on it. And the quote is, you don't compete with anyone. You find your opponent's weakness and you strike. That's by Tim Grover. What are your thoughts on that, Jim? Um, it makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why, why does it make you smile? <laughs> a little bit you sounding, but... Uh that's competition. That's what you're doing. You're, you're trying to figure out how to beat somebody. And the, the, the easiest way to beat them is if you can beat them through their weaknesses, because that's where they're the, they're not the best. Um, you know, I think if you, if you break down races, tactics, uh, events, disciplines to, to what they are, then that's what you're really doing is, is searching for those weaknesses in teams, those weaknesses in athletes, um, where you can beat them. And sometimes it's just a long, long, long poker game uh, until you get to that scenario. And then you're like, boom, play the card and down they go. Uh, That book, Tim Grover, Relentless is happens to be one of my favorite books. It's one of the few books that I read back to back a couple of times. It's a good book. It's a good book. book. Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, a little bit dark. Yeah, right. it, it is. And, and you have to, in uh, truth be told, like, I wouldn't say it's for everybody because it, it's, it's offensive at times. It, it ruffles some feathers. It does. And there are times where you're like, I don't know if I agree with that because it doesn't yeah. make the nicest person um, in the context of sport or competition. That's, it, it resonates. Well, so it's interesting you say that twofold one don't read it before bed i try the first when i first started reading i was like oh god like i I, there's no way i can go to sleep right now after reading like 20 pages so for those listeners if you do pick up relentless by tim grover don't read it before bed but secondly I, i guess the questions are is this essential is this thought essential or this concept essential for the highest level of sport do we need to think this way as coaches and athletes um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways to, to skin a cat. Um, it's not the only way this, this book has, talks a lot about, about Kobe and Michael Jordan, uh, the way they process sport, the way they thought about sport, the way they approach sport. Um, and it's probably really timely now with this, this Michael Jordan, uh, mm-hmm. series out on ESPN, which is also really good. Um, it just gives you a glimpse to, to how they live their life. Um, 
I think to win at really high levels, uh, you know, there, there is some misbalance in life if you look at it straight up. Uh, but I think in their lives, there's no, there's no loss in balance. It's it, they're pursuing what they're pursuing. Um, you know, I find myself after, uh, after big, like Olympic games, world championships, even, even where you've won, uh, like the very next morning thinking about what's next, or I've already thought what we have to do in the next three months or the next six months. And it's just something that, that has always happened with me where as quickly as I move on from failure, I as quickly move on from success as if it, it, it didn't happen. Um, it wasn't long ago that, that I'd have put together a, a bio and I never put together bios. I never put together resumes. Um, when I was a bike racer, I had a saying that if you're fast enough, you didn't need a resume, they would just call you. Um, <laughs> and I've kind of carried that into my professional life too. I'm like, if you're good enough, they, you don't have to have a resume. They just call you. Um, and then as I was doing it, I'm like, I almost don't believe this bio myself. Uh, and, and it kind of struck me because I primarily I'd never stopped and even looked at it and never thought twice about it. Um, when Kristen won a gold medal, it was like, we're just moving straight on. Most of the time it was to a world championships that was happening in six weeks. You would, you would enjoy, enjoy the moment, have a great night. Uh, but for me, when I was in those Olympic games, then we were just on to the next event and the next discipline. And, and you just moved on that fast. Um, so I think it's, it's an odd mindset. Uh, I don't think it's, it's every person has that mindset, but I think some do. So to answer your question, that was a perfect, uh, answer, non-answer. Um, I don't think it has to be that way. No. Um, I think, I do think it's probably common amongst people at that level that that's, that's how it works, but I don't think it's required. Yeah. I, I mean, it is a classic, I mean, it's a classic characteristic of high performers. I mean, you can, um, you can find a lot of examples of that, but yeah, not every high performer is necessarily like that. I think, I think we're all quirky in our own ways and the higher you go, the more pronounced kind of that is, but in terms of stomping on throats, like, uh, Grover talks about, I mean, that, that is one way, right. Yep. And, um, and I guess to talk, I, I guess let, let's transition to like some Kristen stories because she definitely, she definitely was like that when it was, when it was time to go, like she was, she was ready to stomp on any throat that was in the way. Right. And, but through that, I mean, she didn't win everything, right. There was failure along the way. And I remember, I think it was, yeah, it's 2015, 2016 into the Olympics. And I was working with uh, 2016 uh, UCI team and she made her comeback and at the national time trial championships, she just got on the podium. She took third and that, that did not secure a spot for Rio. So she was in a, she was in a tough place. And I remember, I remember Joe drove her back, uh, to the, uh, homestay or whatever, wherever we were saying. And I remember driving the rest of the team back. Right. And it was, it was dark, right. Cause everybody, we, we you know, everybody expected her to win and thought she would and she didn't. But it was it was like the darkest of clouds, the craziest of crazies. And everybody was like quiet. Every, I mean, we were packing trainers up, and they, I mean, every it was just no talking, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm driving the girls back, 
Yeah, not really knowing what to say, so we're trying to make some light humor. It just didn't work really. But later in it, but that's how she, that's how she received failure. But it wasn't this "woe is me." It was like, oh, it, there was like this fire lit that I had never like experienced before, <laughs> and yeah. and she just got like real focused, real angry, and it was like she was a different. I mean, and you've seen this, you worked with her for years, but for me, uh, before that time trial and then after that time trial, all the way through, and she ended up winning the gold at at Rio. So she was changed. But I guess the question is, how did you and Kristen devise a plan or how did you navigate through in order to win the gold medal after that, after that failure? Yeah, uh, her, her intensity in racing, especially with the time trials. Uh, it wasn't comfortable for anybody and it wasn't necessarily comfortable for her. It wasn't comfortable for me. It definitely was not comfortable, but for anybody around her. Uh, and poor Joe, Joe, Joe. And Joe used to always say in, in time trial weeks, he's like, she's yours this week. I don't want her. Yeah. And yeah. he meant that. Uh, and she was mine because I was the coach and somebody had to deal with her. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, with those personalities, there, there comes some, uh, they can be tough. Uh, it, their strength can be their weakness. Um, and she could be wicked tough in those time trial weeks. But for her, that was the process of mentally preparing for what was coming. Um, and, and that was the, the laser lock-in. Uh, mm-hmm. That year in particular, you know, she had, she had met some criteria. Uh, there was, there was a piece in the, uh, the criteria language that said you had to show that you were capable of riding at a world tour level, um, because she was, uh, had a family, had a kid, had, had Lucas, um, was a mother. Uh, she couldn't just go to Europe and race like everybody else. Um, so there was a tour of California that year, world tour event, uh, and she had to race it and, uh, she had to show that she could ride at that level. And and in the language, it didn't say, you know, this is how you demonstrate you can ride that level. So we took it took it in the literal terms of, well, if, if you're asking me, can you ride at that level? I'm going to ask you, can you podium? And if you can't, then I'm going to say, you, you can't ride that level. Sorry. Yeah, you can follow, but you can't ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she went to California. Um Ended up third on GC, I think, maybe second. I don't recall exactly. Um, but then had to fly out to, uh, was it in Georgia? Was it South Carolina somewhere? I, yeah, South Carolina. Maybe Winston-Salem, maybe? Yeah. And it was uh, in, in California that year. It was cool and rainy. Mm-hmm. Um, just four days. And it's, it's blazing hot and high humidity. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing with the Olympics is if you want to win them, you can't you can't uh, dance around it. That has to be your peak. Um, in a normal year, I would say, yeah, we can have two, three peaks, two for sure. If there's a third one that we want to try for, we can try for it. But in Olympic year, everybody brings their A game to the Olympics. Everybody is on and you have to have a, a, a true high peak. You have to be that player on that day that does it. So what you're saying is you like in an Olympic year, you're aiming for one peak, right? Correct. Okay. 
in that year, 2016, uh, when Kristen took third at nationals, uh, that was it. Maybe looking back on it, maybe part of the plan because you're, I mean, you're going for Rio, which was in August, right? Yeah. So, so that event itself wasn't part of the selection criteria. Uh, so when we looked at the, the season as a whole and how to build it and how to set it up, uh, that was an event that she didn't have to prioritize or she could sacrifice, if you will. Um, you know, for her in a time trial, she, she never wanted to lose anyways. It didn't matter if it was a prologue or a, or a hour record. If it was, if it involved time trial bars, she expected to win. Um, and for a long time, she expected to win by a significant margin. So, you know, later in her career, it got to the point where if she didn't win by a large margin, then, then people started questioning her, uh, even though she still won the race. Right. Um, so in that year, it was just the, just the way it was set up and the way we attacked it and approached it was that the, uh, that was a sacrificeable event. <laughs> and it didn't factor into the entire uh, picture or body of work that was was supposedly to be reviewed by selection committee. And, and so, yeah, she got, she got caught out. She got uh, caught on a day where she wasn't a hundred percent was probably 85%. Uh, and for a lot of reasons coming off a hard stage race, oh. um, coming from cool weather to warm weather and humidity and, and, and she got beat. Yeah. That, that's about all you can say to it. And, and yeah, for her and, and that analogy of, of post race, uh, you know, we always, we, you can be mad for 24 hours. You can be furious. You can be irate. Uh, but after that 24 hours, then it's, then it's over and, and we will debrief and we'll have a fair conversation about it um, and move on. And that's essentially what she did that year. And, and the plan wasn't in, May the plan was in July. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the um, and I, if I recall right now, like we, everybody was cracked too. I mean, there was athletes were not performing well coming off tour of California, like you said. And it was, I think, it was like one week turnaround. Like California ended, we had like six days and uh, staff yeah. athletes. You sat. I mean, the, yeah, everybody. almost everybody drove straight across country and yeah. Everybody was cracked. And had remember that two days to, to preview and shake out and go for it, <laughs> which is, which is you know it's all part of it too. I mean that's part of the, the you know the other challenge of being an athlete. Yeah, part of the game. Yep. Part of the game. Yeah. So okay, so it, even if you're not competing for a gold medal, it, like many of our listeners probably are in that boat, right? They're not going for a world championship or anything like that, but could our listeners benefit from cultivating this winning mindset that you do with your athletes? Oh, absolutely. And everything. Um, I mean, now I'm going to work on it with, with myself, my own kids. Uh, How so? And it's, it's just, it's just that, that can, that continuing, uh, to challenge yourself, to, to, to try to be better, to, to do something more efficient, to, to, Think about it a little bit differently. Um, I think those all play into to just everyday life and, and how you approach life. So I think 100% that kind of mindset cultivates into a lot of different things. I also think that's you know that's that's why you see so many athletes 
become great at business when they retire is, is they have that drive. They have that work ethic. Um, they can, they, they, they challenge themselves innately. Just it, they don't need a boss challenging them to do, to, to do it better, to do it quicker, to, to make it cheaper, to, to sell it faster. It's, it's just something that they do because that's, that's how they've lived their lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, with, with every one of my athletes, professional athlete or professional person, that's that the carryover from sport to everything in life is it. And if I'm working with a professional athlete, I always bring that up, you know, in terms of like, mm-hmm. think long-term, like, where are we going to take this, this ability, this, this itch that needs to be scratched, this, uh, perspective of something needs to <laughs> get one today. Something needs to get crushed. Where, where are you going to take that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it, it crosses all genres. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah. So reflection time here, Coach. Um, you've mentioned a little bit of what you learned from your athletes, but what what else have your athletes taught you about mindset? I give them. As, I give. I would give the athletes I've worked with as much credit for teaching me about mindset as I've taught them. Um, it's, it's one thing to, to challenge athletes and to push them and, and take them to places they don't want to be, or they haven't been, or they didn't think they could be there. But I think if you're the coach that does that, uh, you also have to take it back. You have to accept that when they do that to you. Um, and, and consequently it, it forces you to be more prepared. It forces you to, to think through what you're doing, uh, longer or with more clarity. Um, so, so I think it's absolutely two way street. I think they, they absolutely have taught me as much as I've taught them. Uh, and I expect it, you know, I, I certainly, uh, I don't necessarily always like the challenges or invite them, but, uh, I allow them and, and that's part of the deal. If, if you're going to challenge, then you have to accept challenge. Yeah. I like that. And, and I think if that you're, if you're going to coach high performers, you better be ready, uh, for a little resiliency training yourself as, as a coach. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Jim, uh, we're kind of rounding off our, our time here together and we've talked a bunch about mindset training, resiliency, self-talk, and all really good stuff that I think our listeners are going to really appreciate. But now I want to, I want to transition into our takeaways where uh, I ask you some questions um, and answer away. And it's going to kind of, kind of come from every angle. So if you're ready, we'll, we'll get into this thing. Okay. All right. So this is for the young developing athletes out there or the parents listening to the podcast. What advice would you give them if they wanted to start now in developing into a professional athlete? Um, play sports, play all sports, play any sport you like, uh, play it at any level you like to play it at. Um, race all bikes, cycle cross, road, gravel, track, whatever you have access to. Um, do it all. Uh, the, the experiences are what creates the knowledge. Um, and the more experiences you take away, the, the more knowledge you build. But I would say do it all. Yeah. Uh, if I have junior athletes that, that 
run cross country in high school and they're like, Oh, my cross country season starts August 1st. I'm like, great, go do it. <laughs> run, run, run away. Um, race bikes on the weekends if you want. Uh, but, but get after it. I like that. I like that. And it's be- for that broad base and that, that broad diversity, uh, early on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think an athlete's an athlete, right? Uh, at the top of the, the higher you go, an athlete's just an athlete. It doesn't matter if, uh, when you got in the sport or where you came into it or, or what your background is, but, um, training yourself to be an athlete is, is, is that's key. And, and it's, it's a collection of sports and then balance and, and high and eye coordination and depth perception on a road bike or something. It all, it all comes from various experiences and, and situations you put yourself in. Yeah. And, and all the more important to develop that when you are young and you're more of a sponge to absorb mm-hmm. And I, I think coaching is very similar, right? Where it's like, you know, if you consider yourself uh, an elite cycling coach, is it, well, can you, are, are you, are you an elite coach? Like, can you coach anything? Can you coach other things? And I remember, I, I think the first time we talked, you talked about coaching your daughter's volleyball team, right? Uh, my son's fourth grade basketball son's, team. Okay. That's what it was. So what was yeah. your experience and there? It was tough. <laughs> it was tough. I mean, it was super tough. I have, this was 2008. Yeah. And I mean, that year I have a, an Olympic gold medalist in, in the stable. And that fourth grade basketball team, I was spending half a day at work coming up with practices that afternoon for that afternoon uh, so that we could, we could have good practices and they would learn something. And it was incredibly tough. And, but it makes you, I think, to coach. You should just, just coach, coach it all. Um, it, for the same exact reasons we talked about an athlete is, is experience and knowledge and, and more experiences is more knowledge. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, we got a little, that was, we answered a lot of questions there, but let's go on to question two for the weekend warriors out there. What kind of mindset should they bring into their group rides and races once, I guess, once this pandemic is over? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a bit different on this. Uh, you know, I know the, the warrior mentality that, that I cultivate in my athletes and, and uh, they bring to a race. Uh, but on the weekend, if I'm a master's racer, uh, you know, I want to I be there. I want to be fit. I want to have fun. I want to race hard. Uh, but I don't want to take massive chances and break collarbones. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you still have to go back to work on Monday. Um, so I think it's, you know, for the, for the weekend where it's just sometimes you do have to keep it in perspective and, and uh, you can show up and you can absolutely compete. You can absolutely challenge, you can challenge yourself, um, but you don't have to take all the risk that, that maybe a professional athlete takes uh, as part of their profession. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with that. I mean, it's a cost benefit situation in that regard. And I think, I think the, you know, the takeaway there is just, you know, as amped up and, and as exciting as high performance culture and gold medals and talking about some of this high level stuff is like, bring it down to where you're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So question three, 
What is what is one thing that our listeners can start doing right now in their training to improve their mental toughness and resiliency? Mm. Uh, not give yourself an out in workouts. Mm. That's good. Uh, I think that's I think that's really important. Um, if if in the back of your mind when you're starting a, a hard interval set you're you're already starting to think of ways to to that you could make it acceptable to quit uh you've you've lost the plot so i would say don't give yourself an out on those hard days yeah that's gold that's that's truly gold well because that answer was so good jim you get a bonus question and that is, okay. <laughs> and that is what book or, or podcast, cause we've been, we've been sharing podcasts lately. Uh, what book or podcast would you recommend to our audience if they wanted to cultivate this winning mindset? Well, we already talked about Tim Grover's Relentless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that book a lot. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I'm listening to right now. Right now, I'm onto a different kind of uh, topic. I'm listening to a lot of Rich Roll. Oh, really? <laughs> um, he gets a, a lot of really interesting uh, guests, and and it's a lot about a lot of things I don't know anything about. So I find it, I've just found it captivating lately. Um, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, uh, I'll always recommend Tim Grover. Cool. Okay. So Tim Grover and, and Ritual. I remember I've listened to a little bit of Ritual, um, but I'll go back to it on my next four hour ride in solitude. That's super good. Yeah. And, and his podcasts are long, so it, it'll suck up some time. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay, coach. Well, uh, if our if our audience wants to follow you on the road to Tokyo, where can they find you on the socials? Uh, both Twitter and Instagram or Jim Miller time, Jim Miller time. Okay. Excellent. Well, Jim, thank you again for what is actually round three. If we include, uh, the, the duo podcast with Kate. So thank you so much for being, uh, you know, a, a very frequent member on the train, right podcast. And if it happens again, I'll, I'll be stoked. So. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Well go out there in, in Colorado and go get a ride or a hike in today. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for joining us this week on the Trainwright Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainwright.com forward slash podcast, where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right. <laughs>